0: Chapter Twenty-One, of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars by Harriet Lemus Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty-One, Goodbye Summer. The summer was over. The green landscape, which had charmed the Friendly Terrace girls their first day at the Poplars, had arrayed itself in a different garb—brown and russet with here and there a touch of scarlet. The feathered aristocrats were on their way to the palm beaches of the bird world. The squirrels were fat and busy. The bare wheat-fields, the shocked corn, standing in picturesque rows, told that the work of summer was done. The breaking up at the poplars had not been an altogether cheerful occasion, in spite of the anticipation with which the girls were looking ahead. Mina Eichenberger had proffered her services to the Y.M.C.A. to sing at the camps for the entertainment of the men, and when she had demonstrated what she could do in that line, her offer had been promptly accepted. "'And they never said a word about my name,' she told Peggy rapturously. "'Never referred to its being German.' "'Of course not, you silly thing. There are generals in our army with names just as German as yours.' Mina laid her hand over Peggy's, and her eyes were alight with gratitude. If it hadn't been for you, I should have run away and given up trying to do anything for my country. I'd grown so morbid that I couldn't judge anything fairly. You helped me out of the scrape I'd gotten into through my own silliness, and I'll never forget it. Mag Whipple, too, came to Peggy with her plans for the future. A girl I used to work with at the dairy lunch room wrote me that I could have my old place back as quick as a wink, but I'm not going. Oh, aren't you? peggy asked a little puzzled by mag's air of resolution no there's plenty of girls that can sling hash i mean well you know what i mean in these days if a girl's got muscles like that it's up to her to use 'em where they'll count mag held up her powerful arm for inspection and there was nothing perfunctory in peggy's admiration yes mag it's splendid i'd love to be strong like that what do you think you'll do well there are several big plants where they are ready to take on women if they can do the work and i can do it if i was as strong up here said mag touching her forehead as i am in my arms and back i'd be all right i think you're unfair to yourself peggy declared earnestly you're really a very bright girl the longer i know you the surer i am of it mag hung her head nothing could better have illustrated the change in her than the fact that peggy's compliment seemed to increase her humility The trouble with me, she replied, is that I've been too smart to learn things. I've been so set up over the little I knew that I didn't care a rap about all that I didn't know. I guess maybe there's some hope for me. Now I see what a fool I've made of myself. Peggy was not sure just how to answer this, and before she could decide on a sufficiently diplomatic phrasing, Mag had changed the subject. Peggy, what do you think of my calling myself Margaret Whipple instead of Mag? I believe it would be a good idea. Sometimes I've wondered if it wasn't time for me to drop the Peggy. The other girl protested. Oh, I'd hate that. Peggy's cute, and besides, it seems to fit you. But Mag sounds like a roughneck, and it ain't, is it, going to fit me any longer. I've done with that rough-and-tumble stuff. You bet your life. I mean, well, you know what I mean. They ate breakfast together on Saturday morning for the last time. Already their numbers had dwindled, twenty instead of forty sat at the long table and tried to talk as usual but the thought of change and separation and a world where change and separation had become the order of the day cast a shadow over the spirits of the most volatile in spite of themselves there was a cadence of melancholy in their light chatter and when it came to bidding mrs lockwood good-bye several of the girls shed tears even peggy trying to smile over her farewells found her lips tremulous "'You, blessed girl!' Mrs. Lockwood took Peggy in her arms. "'I suppose you know that from the hour you came "'you've been a blessing and an inspiration to us all. "'I don't believe you remember the hour I came "'nor the first week afterward quite so well as I do, Mrs. Lockwood.' "'Peggy was trying to laugh, the compliment aside. "'After one day of sticking tomatoes, "'I was so stiff and lame and sore and discouraged. "'I was afraid I was going to limp all the rest of my life.' "'You were a wonderful lot, you girls.' Mrs. Lockwood declared, I should have liked to invite some of the people I know, Americans, who are always sneering at America, to have visited us this summer and watched you girls at work. It has made me an optimist for the future of my country. Before noon, the girls, who for most of the summer had lived under one roof, had scattered in all directions. Quite a number took the train to the city, along with Peggy, Priscilla, and Amy. Marian Keith was to enter the nurse's training school without the loss of a day. Alice Cameron was to spend a week with her parents before taking up her new work with the Red Cross. After the 40 miles ride to the city there was another time of taking leave, and then three eager girls turned their faces toward Friendly Terrace. Trunks had been tabooed at the Poplars, so all three were loaded down with hand luggage, which they handled with much greater ease than would have been possible at the beginning of the summer. People glanced at them curiously as they climbed aboard the streetcar at their tanned faces their glowing cheeks their bright eyes and buoyant erectness if the land army had needed a defence the appearance of these three girls would have been sufficient justification of its methods three waiting mothers on friendly terrace joyfully greeted the returned workers their satisfaction increased by the knowledge that the summer's experiment regarding which most of them had felt an anxious uncertainty was over at last and in a downtown bookstore an alert little saleswoman blundered in making out her checks and kept her eye upon the clock in a fashion most unusual before ruth could finish her luncheon the three friends she was so impatient to see had made their appearance and the fried potatoes and cocoa cooled while they hugged and kissed one another as if they had been separated for at least a year then yielding to the urgency of her callers ruth finished the meal in which she had lost interest and they adjourned to the porch. It was the first of October, and there was a tang in the air suggestive of coming frosts. But the girls who had worked out of doors all summer found the confinement of four walls oppressive. Sitting there, in the sunshine, as they had sat on Amy's porch when they made their plans for the summer, they now planned the work of the coming year. Peggy and Priscilla were to start their college work on Monday, a few days late. If you and Amy were going to enter freshmen— "'Peggy sighed pensively. "'How perfect it would be! "'Ruth sighed too, but shook her head. "'You may have finished college before I get a chance to enter. "'It all depends on how long the war lasts. "'I promised Nelson I'd hold his place for him, and I'm going to do it.' "'How about you, Amy?' Peggy asked. "'She had put the same question on a number of occasions, "'but Amy, who had an incomprehensible streak of reticence "'combined with her customary frankness, had only replied that she hadn't quite decided. "'Yes, Amy,' Priscilla chimed in, "'you can't stay on the fence much longer. "'You've got to make up your mind whether you're going to college or not.' "'I have made up my mind,' Amy replied. "'I'm going to wait for Ruth.' "'Oh, Amy,' Ruth cried with a fervent gratitude, which did not keep her from adding immediately, "'but are you sure that you really want to wait, "'when it may be such a long time?' I read the other day about a lady who graduated from college with her own granddaughter, Amy replied. We can't be any older than that, and think how our classmates will look up our gray hairs and respect our wrinkles. But if you're going to wait for Ruth, said Peggy, disregarding the levity of Amy's closing sentence, what are you going to do this year? That's all been settled since eleven o'clock this morning. You know the Red Cross is going to look after the families of soldiers that are sick or hard up. MOTHER'S BEEN AWFULLY INTERESTED IN THAT WORK, AND IT SEEMS THAT THEY NEED A GIRL AT HEADQUARTERS TO ANSWER THE TELEPHONE. THEY'VE HAD GIRLS WHO volunteered TO WORK ONE DAY A WEEK, BUT GENERALLY THAT PARTICULAR DAY THEY WOULD BE SICK, OR ELSE HAVE SOMETHING ELSE THAT JUST HAD TO BE DONE. SO IT SEEMED SIMPLER TO HAVE SOME GIRL VOLUNTEER TO DO IT ALL THE TIME, JUST AS IF SHE WERE GETTING PAID FOR IT. THEN YOU'RE NOT GOING TO HAVE A SALARY? ASKED PRISCILLA. OH, DEAR, NO, SMILED AMY. I SHAN'T NEED A SALARY WITH ALL I'VE SAVED THIS SUMMER the girls laughed in joyous understanding. The half-dollar a day remaining after they paid their board had been saved scrupulously for payments on their liberty bonds. After buying their tickets for home, the combined wealth of the trio amounted to less than five dollars. "'We won't any of us be very flushed this year,' said Peggy. "'Amy will be working for nothing, and Ruth gives half her salary to Mrs. Hallowell, and Priscilla and I will be doing all sorts of things, so we can pay for our bonds.' It's lucky that in wartime it's the fashion to go shabby. Ruth changed the subject abruptly. Peggy, when did you hear from Graham? Why not since Monday? I thought perhaps there'd be a line waiting for me at home, but there wasn't. We haven't heard this week. Oh, Peggy, cried Ruth, her face lighting with sudden animation. Perhaps he's going to get leave for tomorrow and means to surprise us. Peggy's face, too, lighted up. I believe that's it. And that's why he hasn't written there comes the postman now said amy perhaps there will be a letter from graham saying that he doesn't care to come home at present that he's found things that interest him more they were all laughing as the postman came up the walk not the broad-shouldered young postman they all knew who swung along even under the christmas mail as if it were a mere bagatelle but a man considerably past middle life who walked with a shuffling step and seemed to find his bag quite enough of a load is that all asked ruth in a disappointed tone as he handed her a postcard That's all today. I'll try to do better by you Monday, smiled the postman affably, and he limped on to the next house. Mr. Miller is in the service, I suppose, observed Peggy, glancing after the stooping figure. The eyes of the other girls went to Ruth, the only one qualified to answer Peggy's question. Amy uttered a sharp ejaculation. Priscilla started violently. Peggy turned from watching the postman and rose from her chair. Why, Ruth, she cried, "'Ruth, dear, what is it?' The emotion in Ruth's white face seemed inexplicable. She was staring down at the postcard in her shaking hand, a picture postcard representing a small boy in a little boat waving a handkerchief to a small girl on shore. It was seemingly an innocent, foolish little card that might appeal to a small child. Certainly nothing about it explained the look of frozen dismay on Ruth's face." Twice, Ruth made a futile effort to answer Peggy's question. The third time, she succeeded. It means—it means that he's going across. Graham? Ruth started, and let the little card drop at her feet. Oh, Peggy, do you think it could be—and that's why he hasn't written? Ruth, dearie, please try to tell me what has frightened you so. I can't understand— With an effort, Ruth regained her self-possession sufficiently to explain. "'Why, the last time Nelson was home, Peggy, we took lunch in downtown together, and then we stopped at a stationer's to buy some postcards for one of the boys in camp, and I noticed his choosing this among the others, and I wondered why. When we left the shore, he showed it to me, and said, "'Ruth, if they should send us across without giving us a chance to say goodbye, I'll mail this to you, and you'll know when it comes. I'm on my way.' The quartet upon the porch was silent. Amy stooped and picked up the foolish little postcard that had brought such startling information, and laid it gently in Ruth's lap. All four girls were pale. If the news meant less to Amy and Priscilla than to Peggy and Ruth, the thought that their lifelong friends, playmates and schoolmates, were perhaps now on the Atlantic, menaced by the U-boats, the assassins of the sea, was more than a match for youth's light spirits grave and silent, and with thoughtful eyes they looked at one another. Peggy was the first to speak. She had been through the same conflict of feeling very recently, and she had only to follow the trail she had already blazed. "'Girls, I think we had better not say a word about this.' "'Not speak of it?' asked Ruth in amazement. "'Not tell father and mother?' "'Of course you must do as you think best about telling your father and mother, but I shan't tell mine. In the first place, It would only make them anxious, without doing any good. And in the second place, the more people there are who know about it, the more likely it is to leak out. Don't you see, Ruth, the government is keeping the movements of the troops a secret in order to protect the boys, and we mustn't let the secret out. Ruth looked down at the postcard in her lap. I'm sure Nelson didn't think of that, she said rather piteously. Of course he didn't, Peggy answered. But we do— and we've got to be careful. I rather think, remarked Amy, with a shrewd glance at Peggy's face, that your mother will know the minute she looks at you. Peggy sighed, then smiled. No, she won't, because I shan't let her see me till I look natural. That's one thing we've got to learn, girls. There are anxious days ahead of us, and it won't do for us to go about looking worried and heartbroken, undermining the courage of everyone who comes near us. On the other side the boys will be laughing and joking, even in the trenches, and we must be worthy of them." The early autumn twilight was coming on when the conference broke up. The four girls separated, and the face of each, as she went her way, wore a look of serene strength. Each might have been accepted as typical of the America which commanded her heart's devotion, resolute and confident, not belittling the crisis, but summoning strength to meet it, facing. The future, unafraid. The end. The end of Chapter Twenty One, and the end of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars, by Harriet Lemis Smith, read by Darrell War.